0: From Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is What's Next, a highlighted conversation previously heard in parts on past episodes. On today's show... So this whole
1: concept regarding intergenerational trauma in the scientific world is, is fairly new. Um, and now what we've done is, okay, well, let's place this whole concept on these traumas and how it reverberates into a bigger scale
0: public health expert and CEO of Seneca Scientific Solutions, Dean Seneca. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening. We revisit Jay Moran's conversation with Dean Seneca, who spent years working with and supporting tribal communities in their efforts to improve health through education and research. Dean's own background spans epidemiology, urban planning, and architecture, as well as his efforts in aiding health outcomes, tribal communities. He discusses a little bit of all of this.
2: Welcome to What's Next? Our guest this morning, Dean Seneca. Dean is, well, he's got a lot of experience that we're going to get into here. His company is Seneca Scientific Solutions Plus, but that's just uh, kind of uh, scratching the surface of what we're going to talk about. Dean, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, Dean, your experience as an epidemiologist, as also you're involved in city planning, you've got all sorts of really fascinating experience. But, you know, one of the reasons I know that we wanted to get you in here is also the understanding that you're in the work that you're doing and understanding the addiction issue, crisis that's Mm -hmm. impacting. Obviously, it's, it's widespread in society, but in your case, you're taking a look at how it's impacting native populations. Let's maybe just start with a general question. What don't we understand about how it's impacting native populations?
1: I think, well, the big misunderstanding is that, um, you know, these addictions that we're seeing is really uh, really um, a reflection or a response to um, a term that is now being more accepted in the uh, public health medical field, uh, intergenerational trauma, you know. So Native people have experienced uh, uh, a huge amount of trauma in the last, um, you know, since contact. But we could say the last 300 years. And, you know, through contact, through treaty making, Through uh, removal policy, through reservation policies, through the boarding schools uh, where, you know, our people are, you know, children were taken from their parents and put into these, um, let's just call them what they are, militarized uh, concentration camps uh, for um, Native people. This is where a lot of ethnic cleansing actually happened. And, you know, um, this is where people were made to be ashamed of themselves, you know? Um, and, um, and this is where really a lot of colonialism got its deep, uh, claws on our native populations, right? Um. And uh, just to, you know, in the words of Richard Pratt, um, General Richard Pratt, um, to kill the Indian and save the man, Mm. right? So, you know, through this, you know, that's another era where there's a ton of trauma inflicted on Native people. And we can go to 1934 Reorganization Act, where the government kind of said, hey, uh, man, we really have messed up Indian country and man, it problems are so bad we don't even know what to do about it. Um, right before that was the Dawes Act in which you know uh, tribal people really lost um, you know three quarters of our land base. Um, and then it, you could go to you know, relocation and the termination policies literally which went all the way up to 1968. So you think about it in our lifetime, It was the policy of the U.S. government to terminate Indians. You're no longer Indian. You know, we're going to move you all to the urban centers, and we want you to be part of this great melting pot called the United States. And, um, you know, a a reminder to that point, you know, Rome was an empire too. Hmm. So, you know, um, all of these different traumas that have impacted Native people have, uh, you know, you know, put us into a situation where, you know, we've, we're very strong. We're very resilient, you know, people, and we've survived all of this, but we've never healed from it. And because we've never healed from it, uh, how do we act out? Well, we act out through coping and coping is, you know, addictions, right? And, you know, uh, in the past, it was alcohol, you know, we've... There's no big secret that, uh, you know, um, you know the, the stigma around natives and alcohol and that, uh, you know, we were, um, we were not exposed to it, you know, uh, you know um, centuries like the Europeans have. And, you know, I always thought that was a bunch of crap. Um, and, uh, you know, but we, there's no secret now that there is a big alcohol problem in Indian country. And, uh, you know, and that's how we're acting out. But here's the thing. Alcohol is a slow death right. usually, right? It takes a very, very long time. Um, but now people are acting out with much hard, harder kinds of drugs, much, um, you know, more severe um, um, death-killing kind of things that are not even experimental, right? Um and uh, and, that's how, and that's how it's impacting us. So um, because of all of these traumas, because we really haven't healed, and how do we cope? We cope through, um, through these really bad, nasty substances um, that, keep a, that keep us addicted and keep us uh, numb, you know, because we really haven't con- confronted uh, uh, a lot of these different traumas. Um, but, you know, I'm working to really uh, try to address that. Where we can have uh, conversations, where we can bring our community together, um, to to help us heal. Interesting to see, like you
2: said, bringing the community together mm-hmm. at this point, And again, it's a generality, and, I, and you're a scientist, so I've already learned from from uh, talking to you a little bit that I mean, generalities can be a little tricky because it takes a little definition and a little explanation but when it comes to the community does there need to first be an acceptance that there is a a problem that these this is a problem and perhaps more acute problem for native populations we're talking about addiction and and opioids that you know there's got to be an acceptance and understanding that this is a problem for all of these reasons you mentioned Mm -hmm. intergenerational trauma is is that a part of the issue like you said you want to have these conversations
1: well, I would say that there is a a a pretty pretty uniform acceptance that we do have um these problems in our community, okay. you know. We may have some uh uh political leaders who would uh who would um may not admit to all the severity of these problems in our community, but uh I think it's pretty universal that uh you know, um we have substance use disorders in our in our um, in our communities, and everybody is impacted. Right, right? you know, everybody is impacted. Um, I come from a family who uh, used alcohol way too much, right, and I think many of our um, families uh, suffer from this kind of trauma, and we need to understand that trauma reverberates in a community, right. Uh, let's go back to this. This whole sure. concept of intergenerational trauma is really brand new when it, when it comes to health research. It really only started after World War II and the Holocaust survivors. And realizing that those folks that were in concentration camps had a lot of PTSD after surviving these camps, you know, and they, uh, um, um, you know, acted out. Because of their time in that camp. And then we found out that um, kids from those folks acted out because they were being brought up by folks that were in concentration, right? So the kids were impacted. And then we're finding out other survivors were impacted. So this whole concept regarding intergenerational trauma in the scientific world is is fairly new, Mm. you know. Um, and now what we've done is, okay, well, let's place this whole concept on these traumas and how it reverberates into a bigger scale. And when you look at the American Indian population and everything that we've had to address uh, in, the, um, in the plight of westernization, uh, you know, we've had hundreds and hundreds of years of a lot of trauma, right, contact uh, these treaties, they were never fair. no, you know um, the 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 white people weren't going to keep their their bargain. you know, they weren't true to their word. You know that's a, a huge trauma. Removal policy, right? Well, we removed native people from their homelands, and what did that do? Well, what that really did is changed everything about them. They changed their cosmology right but the bigger impact is when they were when people were removed they ended up having to change their diet right okay when you change your diet and what happened is when people were removed and put on reservations well they couldn't really hunt and fish and farm like they once did in their homeland and then they became dependent on united states commodities right and united states commodities were foods that were rich in flour rich in sugar rich in salt, where none of these foods were were all foreign to Native people, right? Because everything we did was boiled and baked, right? There was no grease. There was no lard. (laughs) There wasn't all of this other stuff, you know, that was, you know, added to our diet. So removal policy wasn't just removing us from land that white people wanted. It really changed our whole health structure because it really changed our diet, right? And then if you look at boarding schools, boarding schools really just taught us how to be white, Mm -hmm. you know. But really didn't – you know, these schools didn't teach the Indians to be doctors and lawyers. You know, these schools taught the Indians how to be servants and slaves. Laborers. Laborers, right, you know. And if you go back to some of the old – you know, uh, the Quakers wrote all the notes and stuff, and you go back to the Thomas Indian School at Seneca Nation in Cattaraugus – you know, the school administrators were, were, like, very concerned that school wasn't being taught to the kids, right? They were concerned that, you know, what was going on there is that it was literally a labor force, right. you know, where, you know... Kids the, work
2: seven days a week.
1: Yes, yes. Half, te-
2: half day maybe in class and the rest of the day out
1: on the farm. It, exactly, yeah. if that, yeah. you know, and you can go back to that. Um, and then if you even go... Um, to the Dawes Act in which, you know, can you imagine being a Native population and having all this vast land and then you're all of a sudden thrown onto a reservation, which for a traditional Native person is like being thrown in jail. Right? You know, we can't subsist like this. We were very migratory people. Right. Um, and then if you go all the way up to the termination policies of the 1960s, right, you know, I mean, it again, it was... You know, um, you know, just to uh, terminate tribal nations, and, and a big part of that um, was Hollywood's uh, rendition rendition of Native people in John Wayne movies. Right. This is where most people in the country actually got their cultural competency regarding natives was from John Wayne movies, and you know, Marlon Brando uh, refused to accept his Academy Award for the godfather because he wanted to make a statement of how bad native people were being portrayed right and um you know in studies regarding um intergenerational trauma we look at boarding schools to this point um researchers at the university of washington dr katrina walters uh, made a few very open statements actually Dr. Walters is now at NIH leading their um uh tribal health research office an office actually I held for uh 2 weeks but we can get into, <laughs> we can we can get into the the good trouble part of that right. my career um but um you know she one of the statements she said she said 8 out of every 10 kids were molested in those boarding schools Ooh. you know Think about that. Eight out of every 10 kids, right? And um, trauma on top of trauma. Trauma on top of trauma, right? So just awful things. And, um, you know, um, and it, so the other big thing that she attested to, getting to the John Wayne movies and our termination policies, is that when they would survey uh, kids. Uh, Indian kids, and they wanted them to be cow- play cowboys and Indians. And uh, none of the Indians wanted to be the Indians hmm. because they knew from the movies that the Indians always died off, right? It's just not a good portrayal of Native people that kind of adds to this negativity, adds to this depression, adds to this anxiety, adds to not wanting to be who you are, Right which also um, acts out in our health disparities, right? We have an increase of suicide, that increases, you know, we have an increase of addictions, you know, we have things where people are displaced and can't be part or don't feel part of, you know, where they fit within their community. You know, all of these, um, um, all of these social ills are really um, rooted in, in this very convoluted, uh, destructive uh, history uh, that we have with the United States.
2: You mentioned how you'd like to have conversations, getting back to that, conversations that try to address this, improve it. What do you see inside those conversations? Take me into that. I mean, obviously, you don't know what's going to happen in a conversation until we start having it, but how do you see them working mm-hmm. and, what, uh, you know, and what are the things that, need to be addressed.
1: okay Well, I'm going to put in a plug for a project that I'm working on right now. Uh, I am in uh, working in partnership with uh, the University of Rochester's uh, Medical Center right and we developed a program almost like a whole litany of um, of discussions and the program is called in- Indigenous Community Conversations, right? And um, basically what we did is we went to our community and we interviewed people who have overcome their addictions and on a road to recovery, right? And, um, you know, so through this whole thing, through this whole program on Indigenous Community Conversations with uh, the University of Rochester, um, uh, basically um, what we're trying to do is, um, is to show uh, the community um, – uh, this is not rocket science. Let me back up for a second. Sure. Basically, basically, it's this. When someone who has an addiction – and we're trying to address the stigma around addictions, right? Because there's a huge amount of different kinds of stigma in the Native community, right? Different different than the stigma than, that Than, be than in any other illness. community. Okay. And it's more severe. All right. Right. And basically what we're doing through this project is when we videotape somebody who has overcome their addiction and is on the road to recovery, um, this is not rocket science. When an addict sees someone like that who is like them on video, they're more likely to go seek help. Because they, they feel that if this person can do it, so can I, right? But it's important to see a person who looks, looks like, like them, them reflects them. Okay. Yep. From the community, acts like them, has a story similar to, them, to theirs. When people see that and see that they have been able to overcome that addiction, overcome that substance use disorder, and um, – that person is more likely to go seek help so that they can do the same thing and and that's and that's basically the root of it you know and in the conversations we address stigma you know we address what is stigmatizing people from getting help well it's a you know in some of the conversations things have come up that um well it's that negativity, like, all right, you know, you're not partying anymore and we still want to party. So don't bring, don't preach your good word to us mm. kind of thing. Right. Um, the other is that, or you might not get invited to parties all the time because you're not using and we all are. Right. Um, or, you know, you might, um, you know, the conversations can go into, Um, why isn't tribal leadership taking a more active role in addressing the problems around substance use disorder in our community, right? Uh, The conversation can move to um, the simple things, right? You know, um, I I don't know if you're familiar with um, ACE, right? Adverse Childhood Effects, right? And this is something I'm actually pr- very proud of that I was in, involved in in the very beginning while I was at CDC. And basically what we've done is we developed an instrument in which we ask you 10 questions. And if you answer yes to any of those 10 questions, you know, you're, you're very likely to have trauma or act out in trauma using substances or, you know, things that are dysfunctional later on in life, Okay. Right? And if you and if you talk with many um, people who are addicts, you know, and they kind of go back to what was it that made me do this? And it could be a simple thing that my parents weren't there for my basketball games or, you know, my father didn't do this or my mother didn't do that. Or I felt lonely here. I wasn't supported here. And. You know this that trauma or that incident really really impacts them where they need to act out and that's usually by numbing themselves right. And an ACE, if you took that ACE test, I remember the first time I actually took it. I think I answered like eight out of ten questions yes. Oh my! You know, like you know, and I'm going wow. You know this is this is really really uh, alarming right? You know, and I would attest that. Many people in our native community would probably answer the same. And the whole premise is this. When you have a child, and traditionally we were very good at this, traditionally. It was through colonialism that we've got away from this. That tra- child sh- shouldn't see any trauma or any adverse behavior until they're like 12 years old. None. You know, and so how many of our children at a very young age have seen domestic violence? How many children at a very young age have seen people using? How many children have been in uh, physical altercations with their siblings and parents at a very young age? Like none of that should have happened. Right. Right. Because if any of that happens, those are the folks that are going to be our addicts in the future. Right. It's just the way. It's just the way it is. And this is that cycle of things. And, uh, you know, part of my work is to stop the cycle. You know, we, we want to stop the cycle. And I want to make it known that, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not innocent to any of this, right? I'm not coming in preaching the good word. You know, I've had my challenges with alcohol, um, I've seen a lot of stuff in, in the community. I've had experiences and things that I should, and been in places I should not have been in at a very young age. You know, I am, you know, I am, and I tell a lot of my colleagues and friends and relatives, you know, I am just like you. I just have gone to school a lot longer and studied a lot more and I read a lot more than most people, but I am just like everybody else in the community.
2: You, do you see that helping? Does that help when you make a connect, try I, to make connections?
1: I, I think it does. I think it does because, you know, there was this premise that I, I grew up um, with a silver spoon in my mouth. In the first ward. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> so there's a lot, ward, a lot of right. silver spoons there. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, next to the Perry Projects and and um, uh, an, an area that's, you know, just really tough. Right. You know, very tough. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, um, I, I just uh, want to be part of the solution when it comes to that because I want them to know that uh, that I'm I'm I am just like them in a lot of instances, and uh, um, so yeah, um, so yeah, so all of these adverse things that people see at a very very young age they we shouldn't be seeing. And you know, if we go back, see, the Huna people have great teachings, right? And um, you know, and I would I would say that probably the foundation of our great one of our greatest teachings is the Great Law of Peace. And you know, in order to be really good and to really be, you know, have health and well being, um, you have to be at peace with yourself, right? You have to be at peace in order to withstand ridicule you have to be at peace in order to have um good health you know you have to be assured of yourself confident in yourself that you know that you know we all have a little bit of peace in us and if we're able to really um bring out that peace out of people bring out that spirituality bring out that goodness and there's, you know, something in our communities we call having a good mind, right? Because we want to have a good mind. Because when you have a good mind, you do good things, you know. And that kind of precipitates this peace and having a good mind. And and, and these things are all foundational teachings uh, of who we are as Haudenosaunee people. Now, we've gotten away from this right. because of... Uh, um, the corruptness of uh, the United States and what they did to Native people in order to get what they wanted, and that was the land. But, you know, if you go back to the foundations of, a, of some of our teachings, you know, the Quakers used to write down how uh, they didn't understand how we valued our children the way we did. Really? Yeah. They, You know, how we treated them so nice, you know, that it was – uh, in many cases, uh, our elders who were doing the day-to-day uh, raising the children, and it was the parents that were actually doing the work, right? And women doing the farming, men doing the hunting, hunting and uh, fishing, and protecting the uh, the communities. You know, um, but we've really put a lot, a big value on our children. And a lot of these early teachings and, uh, you know, and we also had a, a huge value for uh, the woman and the child, you know, and uh, we, we really got away from that. You know, that reminds me, you know, one thing Ben Franklin said, well, he said a lot of things, hmm. but when he was uh, creating this experiment called the United States, he said, you know, it has to be a remnants of the first inhabitants, right? And he looked at the Haudenosaunee, and and he said, "You know, wow, it's amazing how these people govern themselves, right?" He was, you know, he's like he looked at the the three systems of government. You know, the chiefs, clan mothers, and warriors. You know, sounds very familiar to executive, (sighs) legislative, and judicial, right? And you know, we can go into those comparisons, and there's a lot of writings on this, and you know, we could. You know, dissect this to the nth degree. But what Ben Franklin really forgot was the role of the women and children in this whole uh, in this whole thing called uh, the United States democracy. You know uh, that was left out. You know on purpose. But I really do feel our Native communities now more than ever are really trying to get back to that root of of uh, the, the really predominant roles of women and children.
0: You are listening to What's Next, Producers' Picks. We return to Jay Moran's conversation with public health expert Dean Seneca, the CEO of Seneca Scientific Solutions.
2: Dean Seneca is our guest uh, this morning on What's Next. Uh, Dean has a variety of experiences. His company is Seneca Scientific Solutions. Plus, Dean is an epidemiologist and, as you can tell, is uh, well-versed in a lot of different elements here. Um, Getting back, you just mentioned it, and I, I'm curious about that. You sense or see, getting back to that idea that women, their role, children, the value of them. You're seeing that
1: um, in native communities. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm actually seeing uh, a lot of that. I think this this generation that's coming up. I, I don't know the names, X, Y, Z. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, don't, I don't know. But <laughs> I know I'm not one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, like, you know, our generation, um, you know, um, no. You know, kind of hardcore. We were, our generation was really spirited in being tough and strong and being able to overcome that. Don't cry, you know. And I think this generation is really seeing the importance of showing your feelings, you know. It's okay to cry. It's okay if you're a man and you cry. You know, um, I really do see a big change. And I attest and I tell my students this all the time that the world has really changed after George Floyd. You know, um, you know I could, you know, for 30 some odd years I was preaching, um, you know, uh, American Indian sovereignty, you know, health, goodwill, um, you know, but um, and no one would listen. You know, no one would listen. We never had a platform. We never had a voice. You know, it was just always just, um, you know, gone to the wayside. But I really do believe after George Floyd that the world has changed. Now we do have a – and I tell my students all the time, you have a platform. People are going to listen. You know, do what's right. You know, you know, go and preach the good word. You know, um, advocate strongly for equity and equality, you know, and embrace our differences and diversity, because that's what really makes us strong. And and one of the things we haven't mentioned, but you're just uh, alluding to it, is that, you know, you do
2: teach at the University of Buffalo as well, besides the uh, the work that you're doing with the University of Rochester. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that, because I'm assuming that you have a general population of, of students, are they embracing an understanding of what... Life is like for a native population? Uh,
1: yes, um, first off, I you know, when I tell them that, I wanted to say that uh, I want to say that, you know, I don't think they really understand what I mean, like, oh, you have a platform, you have a voice. I don't think they really understand the whole change that has happened after George Floyd, right? But you know, when I so in in the class that I teach, Well, at both UB and the University of Rochester, I really do teach uh, American history from an indigenous perspective, right? And when I start to pull out and discuss, like, these events, uh, boarding schools, for example, my students are outraged. Outraged that they didn't know this. They're outraged, how come we didn't learn this stuff in high school, you know? And they're like, like really, really upset. And by the end of the semester, I usually have about 30 students who all want to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: can see that. (laughs) You know, because
1: they're like, I got to be part of this change. I got to be part of making it better for Native people throughout the country, you know, um, and that's great, you know, um uh actually, I just hired one of my former students full time um, that was in my field epidemiology class because you know they're just so uh, committed to want to make a difference and i I've hired some of my past students too, where I hired a student one time and i said i I really you know when in the very beginning, I really can't pay anything i can I can only pay like $10 an hour and they're like, I'll take it, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, I just get them really, really fired up and, uh, I just, uh, you know, I based everything on truth, you know, truth, you know, really look at what happened, you know? Um, and you know, truth is hard to tell when history is wrote by the conqueror, right? Right. I don't like to say that we were conquered cuz we're still here right um but um I would say that they won the first battles you know we're yet to uh w- and we're yet to come back um you know um and and we're we're going to rise above this but I really do feel that you know native people are going to do it with a with a sense of tradition you know not with a sense of revenge, you know. Um, I, I do feel uh, strong that, uh, um, you know, we're 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 getting we're gonna get our voices uh, our voices heard, um, and you know, and we're slowly doing that. We're slowly, slowly doing that. I like to always ask them. Um, guess
2: a frequent question is are you hopeful I think you just kind of answered that I want to ask you this and this is though your your focus right now a lot of it is on you know helping native populations helping um, your community we've had some conversation we had a conversation with a local professor wrote a book on the Thomas School he also wrote another book about uh, the American Indian as well and as he was talking about it really I thought you know spoke very highly about the traditions that come from natives. As you look at what's going on in the United States, and this is general, and we hear all the the discourse and it's it gets pretty nasty. Do you think that that America, the society could really benefit from understanding the lessons, the traditions of Native Americans and that maybe that is what could be what what could uh, heal what's what's happening
1: you mean this great experiment called the united states and where it is right as, now uh, today as uh as joe biden would say uh, <laughs> this idea um, um uh, man you know i i really do think that Um, we're at a place where we have to really look at what has happened in the past. Uh, so it's not repeated in the future. I don't really think that we have many parts of the country that don't really, uh, accept or trying to rewrite what has happened in the past, you know? Um, you know, we had that, uh, group in the South, in the South, what was it the was it the women's confederacy that tried to rewrite the south's history of and uh, trying to glorify uh slavery right and um you know that does that doesn't help that didn't help anything you know uh really it just exasperated you know hard feelings and just drew a light to that i i really do think that You know, good, bad, or indifferent, um, regardless of what race you are, you know, I think we need, you know, people need to acknowledge the wrongs that have happened. And if they were at the hands of a certain group, well, they need to be acknowledged. Because we're not going to move forward as a country and heal until we do that. We're going to still have this contention. We're going to have this bipolar opposites uh, that exists today. We're going to have all of this contention until we could all come together and say, "Okay, yes, this was done at the hands of this group, and we all acknowledge it. It should be, um, it should be taught in our high schools, um, you know, um, because that's the only way we're going to heal." And, and my 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 clear cut example that I've seen in my lifetime is this. You know, um, when kids are – I'm getting – I don't want to get emotional, but I'm, I'm almost going to. Um, when kids are taught the real history, when kids are taught the differences among their um, racial ethnic groups at a very young age, when they're taught their differences between uh, white, black, uh, American Indian, Hispanic – um, Asian, um, uh, when, when they're really, really taught, you know, the history of why they're different, uh, they grow up um, with a certain amount of acceptance, and they grow up um, embracing everybody's difference and understanding each other. Um, when kids are not brought up with that, and they learn something at a different uh, very later in life, um, those differences are usually settled in the courtroom. Those differences are usually set, settled with policies um, that you know um, that are separate but not equal. Right. Um, those differences are settled um, through executive orders that target one group over another. Uh, those are usually develop, which in turn, people develop policies that exclude one group um, uh, versus the uh, the greater good of everybody else. So we we only have to benefit by teaching our young people um, to love, teaching our young people empathy, teaching our young people the differences. And that it's okay to be different. Um, You know, um, character is much more important than the color of your skin. Um, And when kids learn these differences at a young age, they embrace them for the better. And um, and then it just alleviates, alleviates a lot of headache and remorse that, uh, when, when people are not, uh, educated to these issues at a young age and they learn about them later in life, um, the usual results in policies that are, um, anti-American, uh, anti-social and, um, and at the root of a lot of hate. Dean Seneca,
2: um, I appreciate the conversation here today. And we didn't even get to talk about your work with Ebola in Africa, which I have, I have to get into some other time, too. But uh, sure. we'll, we'll do that at another date. But I know we're, we're out of time here, but I really do appreciate what you brought to the table today for
1: us. No problem. And uh, I'd love to be invited back. Consider and, it an open invitation. Okay, great. <laughs> and uh, we can set up another time to talk about uh, indigeneity and, uh, and health. I really appreciate that, Dean Seneca,
2: with us. Uh, his company is called Seneca Scientific Solutions Plus. He has been our guest today
0: on What's Next, and that'll do it for producers' picks. We would like to thank our guest, Dean Seneca. If you missed anything or you'd like to hear it again, you can get this program as a podcast wherever you get your podcast, or on the Amplified BTPM app. Each episode is also online at wbfo.org. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening.